Love Talk Radio. Thanking you for your actions, praising you for your ways, because you are God. We find ourselves constantly thanking you, because you're constantly blessing us. And because we have an attitude of gratitude, we can't help but to react to your actions. That's why we stop once again, Lord. As humble as we know how to constantly, constantly, constantly thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
you ought to lift your hands right now and give a wave of Just think of his goodness and how he brought you through. How he's made a way out of nowhere. Oh, somebody ought to get a, a word of thanksgiving in your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Whether you are fully aware or not, 
you have placed something first in your life. Have you ever stopped to consider what occupies that prime spot in your heart and whether or not it truly deserves that honor? Today, I want to urge you to put God first in your life. Let us delve into God's Word to truly understand the profound impact of making Him the center of our lives. I am also going to pray a powerful prayer with you in the mighty name of Jesus. So watch until the end and open your hearts to receive the blessings of this prayer. Now consider this. Every decision, every action, and every thought reflects what we value most. The choices we make daily are a mirror to our soul's deepest desires and priorities. But, you know what? We should always ensure that we put God first in all that we do. When we truly place Him at the forefront of our lives, we experience a transformation so profound that our lives will never be the same. Today, I want to share with you nine essential truths to keep in mind as we seek to ensure that we've put God first in our lives. As we discuss these nine truths, I pray that each one will resonate deeply within you, guiding your path closer to God's heart. Remember, a life centered around God is not just rewarding. It's the very essence of true fulfillment in your life. Number one, understand the ultimate priority. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This isn't a mere statement. It's a profound truth. Every day, life presents us with an array of choices. It's like being at a grand buffet with so many dishes to pick from. What do you prioritize? The world offers temporary pleasures, wealth, fame, luxury, and all the material stuff you can think of. But what does God offer? God offers himself, which covers everything. When we prioritize God, we aren't merely adding him to our list. We are placing him at the top. By aligning ourselves with God's purpose, our entire perspective shifts. Life's challenges, rather than appearing as insurmountable obstacles, become lessons. They evolve into opportunities for growth and self-discovery. And you know what's interesting? When we place God first, everything else falls into place. It's like that void we once had. It's filled, that deep emptiness within us. Like there's something missing, it's gone. Because when we place God first, we begin to find fulfillment in His love and purpose. It's one thing for me to tell you, but my friends, experiencing it for yourself is another thing. It's life-changing in a tangible way. Once you place God first and feel that fulfillment personally, no one can sway your conviction, just like no one can persuade me otherwise, because I've felt and seen the power of God at work in my own life and in the lives of others. And that's what makes the Daily Jesus devotional community so unique on this platform. We aren't here for superficial reasons. We are deeply committed to spreading the gospel and transforming lives because we've witnessed God's power firsthand 
Our team members have all walked that path. And we invite you daily to join us on this life-changing journey towards a deeper connection with God and to live a victorious life. And here's something else to think about. Remember the story of Noah and the ark? God told Noah to build an enormous boat because a flood was coming. People laughed and thought Noah was silly, but Noah listened to God, put him first, and built the ark. When the flood came, Noah and his family were safe. Just like Noah, when we listen to God and put him first, we're protected and guided. Even when things get tough or confusing, having God as our top priority helps us stay strong, hopeful, and filled with peace. So, let's be like Noah and keep choosing God and putting him first. With God leading the way, our lives are always on the right track. Number two, there is the gravity of idolatry. As the book of Exodus warns us, in chapter 20, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. On the surface, this may sound straightforward. Most of us might say, I don't worship idols. So this doesn't apply to me. But let's dig deeper. Idolatry isn't just about bowing to statues. It's about what occupies the throne of our heart. Is it money? Career? Relationships? Social status? Oftentimes, Without even realizing it, these things take God's place in our lives. Every time we prioritize our desires, our fears, or the world's approval over God's voice, we place something else in His rightful position. Sometimes it may be unintentional, but that still doesn't change the reality. It's therefore essential to regularly examine our hearts and realign our priorities by recognizing and dethroning these idols in our lives, we clear a path for God to take his rightful place. Let's think about the story of Jonah for a moment. Most of us are familiar with this story. Jonah tried to run from God's command, prioritizing his own feelings and fears over God's guidance. He ended up in the belly of a big fish. Yet, in that dark place, Jonah found clarity. He prayed and turned his heart back to God, and God, in his endless mercy, gave Jonah another chance. Just like Jonah, we too can find ourselves in tricky situations when we let other things take the place of God in our lives. But the beautiful thing is that God always gives us a way back. If we take a moment, refocus, and push aside the idols that have crept into our lives, we can begin to experience the joy and peace that comes from truly putting God first. Our God is faithful and full of mercy. After all, as Psalm 37 verse 4 reminds us, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. This Bible verse offers us a promise worth holding on to. Number three know about the transformative power of divine guidance. Proverbs beautifully echoes this in chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean, not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. This isn't mere advice. It's a life principle. 
in our journey through life. We often come across crossroads, moments of uncertainty, and periods of darkness. We all do. It's in these moments that our human understanding feels woefully inadequate. But there's a promise awaiting us. We are promised of God's divine guidance. When we fully trust in God and acknowledge Him, He doesn't just enlighten our path. He leads us by the hand. This guidance isn't about merely avoiding pitfalls. It's about being directed towards a life of abundance and purpose. It's about embracing a journey where every turn, every twist, and every pause has divine intent behind it. Reflecting on the story of David and Goliath offers profound insight into divine guidance. As a young shepherd boy, David faced the towering giant, Goliath. By human understanding, David had no chance. He was not a trained soldier, and he did not have the size or strength of Goliath. But David wasn't relying on his own understanding. He trusted in the Lord. In the book of 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, with a simple sling and five smooth stones, he confronted the giant, saying, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. With God's guidance, David defeated Goliath and demonstrated that divine guidance and trust in the Lord could overcome even the most insurmountable challenges. This story encourages us to remember that when we trust in God's guidance, when we put God first, we can face our giants, no matter how big they seem. God is always ready to guide us, making our paths straight and leading us to victory. Number four, reordering our priorities is crucial. In Luke 10 verses 41 to 42, we find a lesson on priorities. When Jesus told Martha, 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 you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. He was pointing out the essence of priorities. Life is bustling, filled with tasks, responsibilities, and distractions. In the midst of this, it's easy to forget the most crucial aspect, our spiritual well-being. The dishes will always be there. The laundry will pile up again, and the emails will keep coming. But the moments that we spend at the feet of Jesus, those are irreplaceable. It's a lesson for all of us. While we shouldn't neglect our chores and responsibilities, it's vital to ensure they don't overshadow our relationship with God. By regularly reordering our priorities, we ensure a balanced, fulfilling life where both spiritual and worldly responsibilities are harmoniously balanced. Taking a leaf from the book of Psalms, we are reminded in Psalm 46 verse 10, Be still and know that I am God in our fast-paced world. Stillness is often overlooked, yet it's in these quiet moments that we can genuinely connect with God and hear His voice. Think of the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. After witnessing powerful events like fire and earthquake, God's voice came to him, not in the grand spectacles, but in a gentle whisper. This emphasizes the importance of quiet moments away from the clatter and clamor of daily life. 
by making time for God in our busy schedules, by being still and listening, we give him the space to speak to our hearts and guide us. This doesn't mean quitting our jobs or abandoning our chores. It means setting aside purposeful moments each day, even if it's just a few minutes to sit in his presence. And as we do, our priorities naturally find their rightful order. With God at the center, number five, the joy of a God-centered life. Psalm 16 verse 11 states, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How beautiful is that promise. The world offers pleasures. Yes, but they are temporary. They are like bursts of flavor that quickly fade away. God's joy, on the other hand, is eternal. It sustains, strengthens, and renews. A God-centered life is similar to dwelling in a perpetual spring. Even in the midst of challenges, there's an underlying current of joy. This joy isn't rooted in circumstances, but in a deep-seated relationship with the Creator. With God at the center, life becomes an exciting journey, filled with wonder, adventure, and profound joy. Reflecting on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we see him proclaiming in Matthew 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This purity of heart translates to a life free from the entanglements of worldly distractions and temptations. A heart devoted solely to God. Such a heart sees God, not just in grand miracles, but in everyday moments. The smile of a child, the beauty of a sunset, or the kindness of a stranger. A God-centered life brings clarity, like the clear waters of a still pond. Everything becomes a reflection of God's love and goodness. Every experience, good or bad, is an opportunity to draw closer to Him. And in this closeness, in this intimacy with the divine, we find the deepest and most enduring joy. It's a joy that goes beyond mere happiness. It's a joy that resonates in the depths of one's soul, regardless of what's happening around us. Number six, be confident about God's provision and promise. The promise in Philippians 4 verse 19 is a beacon of hope. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. When we prioritize God, it doesn't mean forsaking our needs, desires, or dreams. Rather, it's entrusting them to someone who knows us better than we know ourselves. God's provision isn't about just fulfilling our needs. It's about exceeding them. It's not about giving us what we want, but what we truly need. Imagine a loving father looking at his child. He doesn't just provide for the child's basic needs, but delights in giving gifts surprises and blessings that's how God views us by placing him first we tap into an infinite reservoir of blessings that flow from his throne number seven know the outcome of a divided heart James 1 verses 6 to 8 cautions but when you ask you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. 
Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Duality is a challenge. Trying to balance between God and the world creates instability. Like trying to stand on two boats, drifting in opposite directions. By serving two masters, we become spiritually lukewarm. Neither here nor there, but by giving God our undivided heart, we find solidity, stability, and purpose. Our choices become clear, our path becomes defined, and our destiny becomes aligned with His perfect will. Number 8. Understand Life's True Purpose Have you ever grappled with the whole thought of why you are here? Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 sums up the essence of our existence, and it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Amidst the noise of the world, it's easy to lose sight of our true purpose. Are we here just to live, earn, spend, and then fade away? Or is there a higher purpose to our lives, a divine calling, by honoring God and following His commandments, we align ourselves with this higher purpose. Life, then, isn't just about living. It's about thriving. It's about making a difference, touching lives and leaving a legacy of faith, hope, and love. Embracing this truth brings clarity to our journey in life and adds meaning to every step we take. So remember... We are here to fear God and keep His commandments. And to do this, we have to put God first. Number 9. Know about the unmatched reward. Jesus made a profound promise in Mark 10, verses 29 to 30. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, and the Gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time. Houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. So this isn't a transactional relationship. It's a covenant. When we prioritize God, the rewards aren't just spiritual. They manifest in our everyday lives. We will notice that blessings, favor, open doors, and divine connections become a part of our daily experiences. Above all, the promise of eternal life awaits us. It's an eternity, not just of existence, but of joy, love, and unparalleled communion with God. And does this mean that we won't ever face opposition, discrimination, or persecution because of our faith? No, it doesn't mean that either. Jesus consistently taught that following him might lead to suffering, and this scripture also underscores that message. However, amidst these challenges, when we put God first, we are also assured of victory through Christ who strengthens and uplifts us in every trial. In other words, the enemy won't have the final say. God does. Let us look again at the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. After squandering his inheritance and living a life away from his father, the son decides to return home, expecting rebuke. 
he is instead met with an overwhelming embrace and celebration from his father. This story illustrates God's grace and the unmatched reward awaiting those who return to him. Just like the father who throws a grand celebration for his returned son, God celebrates each of us. The reward is not based on our worthiness, but on his boundless love. Know that every sacrifice made, every challenge faced in the name of faith, is recognized and rewarded by God. And beyond the material and tangible, there lies the profound peace and joy of knowing we are cherished and valued. The rewards God offers aren't just for a moment. They echo into eternity, shaping our existence beyond this life. Now, in Revelation 3 verse 20, God extends an open invitation saying, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. This isn't about a distant God up in the heavens. It's about a loving Father at our doorstep, waiting to be invited in. It's up to us to make that choice, to open our hearts and let Him reign supreme in our lives. Consider this. The beauty of the gospel lies in its power to transform. When we embrace these truths and place God at the pinnacle of our priorities, our lives experience a profound transformation. So if you believe that you have placed God first in your life and there is no positive transformation, you need to do some introspection and ask for God's guidance and always remember to be patient and trust God's timing. By making God our utmost priority, we move from merely going through the motions to living with purpose and intent and those challenges we encounter. They evolve into opportunities for growth. As for the blessings, expect them to manifest as daily miracles in your life. The promise is clear. Put God first in your life, and your life will undoubtedly never be the same. Now, to all those within the sound of my voice, let us go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to pray this prayer with me, so that you can have all the blessings of this prayer. Let us pray to our gracious and loving God, Everlasting Father, Almighty God. You are the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of heaven and earth. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I give you all the glory, honor, and praise. Lord, I am grateful for your faithful promises your amazing grace, your everlasting love, and your mercies that endures forevermore. Lord, I thank you for the gift of life, and I thank you for the many blessings you have given to me. Father, I humbly approach your throne of grace, acknowledging my sins, my mistakes, and my shortcomings. Forgive me of my trespasses as I also forgive all those who have trespassed against me. Lord, forgive me for the times I've placed other things above you. For moments, I've let the pleasures of this world distract me from your eternal promises. In the mighty name of Jesus, I declare that every chain of idolatry and distraction in my life is broken. 
and I rebuke every spirit of confusion and worldly temptation that tries to pull me away from your presence by the authority of the blood of Jesus. I claim emotional, physical, and spiritual healing over every part of my being. I declare in the name of Jesus that the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead flows through my veins, revitalizing and renewing my spirit, mind, and body. Merciful Father, I pray for divine protection over my life and the life of my loved ones. Lord, I ask that you command your mighty angels to stand guard around us, shielding us from all harm or evil. Father, you are our provider, and I ask for your abundant blessings to overflow in our lives. May you guide our paths and draw us closer to you. Lord, help us to prioritize you above all things and experience the fullness of joy that only you can give. Father, as I say this prayer, together with everyone listening, I thank you for each heart that is humbled before you right now. For those who are feeling lost, may you be their saving grace and guiding light. For those who are burdened, may your Holy Spirit be their comforter and grant them peace. For those struggling with their priorities, may you grant them the conviction to put you first and the discernment to choose what truly matters. And for those in need of your touch, may you bring them healing, vitality, and restoration. Heavenly Father, we come into agreement as a faith-filled community, and we thank you for the rewards and benefits you have promised us. In your word, we ask for the strength and wisdom to always seek your kingdom first, to reorder our priorities, and to embrace the joy and transformation that comes from your divine guidance. Lord, I thank you for hearing and answering my prayer. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray, Amen. If you were blessed by this message, type the word Amen in the comments section below. I declare that all the blessings of this prayer are now upon you. In the name of Jesus, you can help us to reach more persons and spread the gospel. You can do this by sharing the video with a friend or family member who you know needs the blessing of this prayer and by clicking the like button. Also remember to subscribe to the channel for more videos that will bless your heart and uplift your spirit. We appreciate all those who support us. You're blessed to be a blessing. If you have received this prayer and you feel convicted in your heart to take an extra leap of faith, I invite you to say this prayer that you've just prayed for the next seven consecutive days right here on our channel. By praying for the next seven days, you'll amplify your faith and your connection with God. Reinforce God's promises in your heart and ignite divine breakthroughs in your life. On this note, we're delighted to share that many of those who are a part of our Daily Jesus devotional community have been coming forward with some truly touching and inspiring testimonies. Many have experienced God's abundant blessings, breakthroughs, and favor after taking part in our previous seven-day faith-filled challenges. People's lives are changing, and we humbly give God thanks. 
and we give him all the glory. And so, we've been encouraged to facilitate even more of these faith-filled challenges. We warmly invite you to visit our channel and commit to saying this prayer that you've prayed today for the next seven consecutive days and watch God work in your life. These are anointed prayers of faith, and so we ask that you open your hearts and expect to see God's mighty hand work wonders in your life. And as you experience His blessings, we would like to hear from you. So don't forget to share your testimonies with us, and we know they will be many. Let your testimony be a beacon of hope and encouragement for others. Our God is faithful, and we will continue to trust Him. Please feel free to leave your prayer request in the comments section so that we can present them before God for your blessings and victory. Also, we invite other believers on the YouTube platform and all over the world to join us and start praying for you right now. And we want you to know that even if you don't see a reply to your prayer request, it doesn't mean that you are not prayed for. Rest assured that we are actively lifting up each request to God that is in accordance with His will. We believe in the power of prayer to bring comfort, healing, and guidance in accordance with God's perfect plan. Stand in faith with us while we pray. To God be all the glory. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.
are gone <laughs> and their hearts Welcome to this episode of Revelations from Heaven. My guest today, Anna Christina, she's going to share with us something very personal, to say the very least, because she was accosted violently 
and then she was murdered. Uh, then she entered into her near-death experience. Something that is going to, well, it's going to be a, so insightful that we'll have to discuss why the Lord God, Jesus, revealed himself in such a way. So, Anna, it is great to have you with us today. Thank you, Randy, for having me. Well, the pleasure is all ours, and certainly mine. And, Anna, let's begin with what led up to this, because you were originally from Egypt as a, uh, as a Coptic Christian. You became a born-again Christian believer. Um, so let's start with that, and then you married somebody who was of a, a different religion, the Muslim religion, there's this, there's this somewhat of a conflict, right, in Egypt between the two populations. So I'll let you begin wherever you'd like there. Okay. So like you said, I'm born in Alexandria, Egypt, uh, to a Coptic Christian Orthodox family. And we moved to Canada when I was very young, six or seven. And then my father moved us back to Egypt to give us a little, a little bit about our culture. He didn't want us to lose our culture. During that time, around the age of 14, I met Sam, who was my, men, my tutor, because I didn't know the Arabic language very well. Well, we fell in love. And uh, I fell in love with him not knowing he was Muslim. And um, at around the age of 20, we wanted to get married. But my father said over my dead body, uh, my father loved him. But in Egypt, you just... Coptic Christians don't marry Muslims. So I knew I had to uh, obey my dad out of honor to him and love for my father and move on. Came to California, married a Coptic Orthodox Christian man. I thought, okay, he's my religion. He'll be good. Um, Turned out he was that typical narcissist, like a full-on narcissist that I did not know at the time that word i didn't know what that word meant uh narcissism they make you they just break your soul uh they break you emotionally spiritually physically financially everything um we went i tried you know with all you know marriage counselors through church and priests and bishops every everywhere to try to make this marriage work but with the narcissist they never change. It's a character disorder, but I didn't know at the time. I had two beautiful children, Colleen and Andrew, and that was my blessing. And I tried to make it work, but um, it was hard to get out of that toxic relationship. I was in it for 13 years. He always threatened that if I would hire a divorce lawyer, he would hire a sniper. Um, Several times he said he would slip my throat. Um, so that's, I was stuck there until I was able to get a restraining order on him and a good lawyer got him out of the house and, um, and we moved on. I moved on with the children and that's when I became a born again Christian. And I, I just, I love the Coptic church, but I also loved this new relationship with God. Um, and then out of nowhere, Sam calls. I, he found me. He was visiting in Florida, and that's like 25 years later. And he dissected California block by block to find me. 
and we talked. But at that time, of course, because I was born again, I didn't think I'm going to disappoint Jesus and Mary outside of my religion. So we talked, and it was good. And then I went to visit my mom, who was living in Egypt at the time, and I met Sam, thinking that my heart is guarded and that, I, you know, there's no problem there, but the guards fell off uh, when we met and we fell in love. I, I think I was vulnerable after a 13-year marriage to a narcissist who was harsh, dry, and I'm a very emotional person. And Sam was that perfect man. I actually don't remember him being the perfect man when I fell in love with him at 15, but when I met him later, he was like that listener that is just a, what I thought was a perfect man. Um, the kids loved him. They wanted us to get married. Uh, at that time, it was hard to say no. And even though I knew I was going against the church, the family, the friends, I just, after being with a Coptic Orthodox all this time who went to church every week and treated me so badly, I felt, you know, this is a decent man, and I, I, we did get married. Uh, at first, the marriage was good. I was the breadwinner. I'm a CFO of a company. He did not have the language properly, so he, did, he couldn't land a good job. Uh, and I didn't mind. So I supported the family. I supported him. He, was, he took care of the household. I actually supported his children in Egypt through medical school. Um, and like I said, at first, everything was good until uh, Paul turned the kids against Sam, you know, 9-11 happened, he convinced them he was a terrorist, and we just went through custody battles and just a lot of issues. Um, around, uh, in 2008, the kids wanted to come and live with me. I was getting tired of supporting Sam. I was getting tired of supporting his kids. And I started, uh, you know, having second thoughts, but I was still in love with him. And I was tormented between my kids want to come and live with me, and I'm in love with this man. And but he felt my. Um, I told him that the kids want to come and live with him, but they don't want you in the house. Like I told him that we would need to not be together. So I think he felt insecure. And one morning, out of nowhere. I wake up in the morning and I feel the Lord telling me what's going to happen today is not of me. And I usually the Lord doesn't talk to me much. And I got up, I'm having my coffee, he's having his coffee, and it was a Saturday morning. And he says, by the way, I'm going to have communion today. Now, I didn't tell you, Sam used to come with me to Calvary. He never went to a mosque. He was not a practicing uh, Muslim. He, he learned the God, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, that prayer. He would read the Bible to me when I'm under stress. So, but he never accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He was stuck that Jesus cannot be God, you know. And I left it at that. I just thought in time he will learn about uh, Jesus. So that morning when he said, I'm going to have communion, it was odd because every time communion passes, he just passes the plate and he would never uh, partake in it. 
And I told him, why would you do that? Did you have a dream of Jesus? Usually Muslims, uh, when they have a dream, usually it, it's through a dream that they become, they want to take communion and convert. And he said, no, I didn't have a dream. So I said, why would you take the communion? And he said, well, why not? There's whores out there that take the communion. Am I not worthy? And I said, oh, boy, Sam, this is not how we take communion. Please, you can't touch it. It's something you have to take um, with, what do you call it, like um, with reverence? Sincerity, reverence. Right. It's not something you just partake in. And I told him, it can turn on you. So please don't do that. And he was adamant about it. And he had this uh, prideful thing he was doing. And so I went to church with him. And I wanted to see if he's going to go through with it. And I was praying that he wouldn't go through with it because to me that was just crossing over. Like, mm-hmm. you don't mess with the blood of Jesus. Um, and he, when the tray came, he took the communion and he ate it and he, his legs were crossed and he was just looking around like no reverence. I thought maybe when he takes the communion, maybe something will happen. But he took it with arrogance. We came home that night, and I'm very troubled. I couldn't sleep at night. He's, I'm in bed. His back is to me, and I'm looking at him, and I am worried and praying and not knowing what is going to happen. And I'm looking at him thinking, okay, God is going to strike him or something because we learned it can turn on you if you don't take it with the right um, motive. And as I'm troubled and I'm looking at him, he turns towards me. And as he turns towards me, his face turns into a demonic face. It was like, I, it wasn't him. It was a demonic face, just like in the movie, uh, The Devil's Advocate, when you would look at a normal person and then you see them in a demonic face. And as soon as I saw his face, I heard the Lord say, child, turn, turn on this side. Just don't worry about him. Turn on this side. And I did so. And this is when I realized, wait a minute, God must not be blessing this marriage. This is wrong. I have to get out. And I cannot continue in this marriage knowing that God is not blessing it. And I'm sleeping next to a demon, like it was just so uh, disturbing. Was this on a was this a, a manifestation physically, spiritually? How did you how did you interpret that? I saw his face turn demonic. It was weird. I didn't know how to interpret except I saw. It. So the Lord must have wanted me to see mm-hmm. what He is truly mm-hmm. is. And he showed me that. I don't know how, but it was the scariest thing I've ever seen next to me. I was terrified. But I knew I needed to get out. So I went on my knees and I prayed. I prayed so hard. I cried to the Lord because I knew I needed to get out, but I was still in love with him. And I prayed to God, please remove him. Please take him, but don't break my heart. I didn't want to go through the heartbreak. I was supporting the family. I need my health emotionally. Um, 
I need to continue working and not fall into a depression from a heartbreaker. But I prayed to him, and I asked him, do not break my heart, but please take him away. And, I, and God knows how sincere I was. I was, I chose God over him at the time. And before I know it, my heart started hardening towards him. It was the weirdest thing. Months after months, I think it took three months, excuse me, and I was falling out of love from with him, and it was so liberating. It, it was just so, it, I don't know, but God did it. He just hardened my heart, and I fell out of love, and I felt I can leave now. I can leave without, um, I'm good. I spoke to him, and I told him that uh, we need, I want a divorce. And, of course, at first he was not very happy, but finally decided we'll do an amicable divorce. Um, but he asked to stay in the house for three weeks until he gets a place. So we did that. We went to Orange County, filed for the divorce. I agreed for him to stay in the house. And it didn't take long after we filed the divorce, about a few days, and I started waking up with the worst headaches I've ever encountered in my life. My whole body started to hurt bad. I have fibromyalgia, so my whole body was hurting, but the worst part was my head. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like it's going to explode, the headache. I've never encountered headaches like that. And I couldn't go to work. I would just sit at the end of the couch and sit there all day, just blinking would hurt. Like just the action of just closing my eyes would just trigger the pain. And I asked him to take me to urgent care or to ER, and he wouldn't for the longest time. And I couldn't drive myself. I was in bad shape. Mm. And then he finally decided to take me to urgent care. At urgent care, they told me, you must be coming down with the flu or a cold, uh, take some painkillers, get some rest. And they so they didn't take any blood samples nothing. or urine or anything. Nothing that would indicate that you were being poisoned. Nothing. Mm. Um, I came home, the painkiller helped, and then uh, when the pain started to come back, he started to give me his blood pressure medicine. And I don't have blood pressure, but the blood pressure medicine was taking down the pressure from the head. It was weird. He knew what to give me. And when that happened, I was able to function. I was in aches and pain, but I was able at least to think and drive. And I decided I need to go to the office. It was year-end, and as a CFO, year-end is the worst time to miss from a company. I was overseeing three entities. And on January 8th, I was driving to the office on the 5 freeway, and I saw a vision while I'm driving. Now, Randy, I never see visions. I'm not that kind of person that sees, I see, I'm seeing a vision. And in the vision, I'm seeing uh, someone from my immediate family has died. And it's like a funeral, and I see the body wrapped, mm -hmm. and I see my brother 
my two sisters, and I don't see my younger brother, Steve, who was born mentally handicapped. And we were told he didn't have long to live. So I thought he's going to die, and God is warning me. Like, this is a warning from God, and I need to go see him. So as soon as I went to the office, I made arrangement to leave ASAP to go see him. And I told my boss that I have to go, because a year earlier, my mom passed. But she was calling for me before that, and I had to finish a project at the office. By the time I was done, I called her to tell her I'm coming. She had gone into a coma, and mm-hmm. she never came out of it. So that was my biggest regret in life. Mm-hmm. And with my brother, I thought, okay, God is warning me this time. I'm going to take it regardless what, you know, at the office. So at the office, I meet my staff. I bring them in. I start telling them I'm leaving. It was Friday, telling them I'm leaving either Saturday or Sunday, I booked two tickets, and I started delegating things to them. But as I'm talking to them in the meeting, my head now starts hurting like it's going to explode again. And I don't want to show them the pain I'm in. You know, I'm always showing I'm I'm in control here. Uh, So I'm sitting at my desk, and I'm holding my head like this, hoping it doesn't explode. And as I'm doing this, I get a message telling me to leave everything, stop thinking, and go home. I don't know how I heard that message, but it was a clear message saying, stop thinking, just go home. So I did just that. I dropped everything. I told them, you guys, I need to go. Most likely I'll come tomorrow. We'll We'll reconnect and uh, we'll finish this meeting tomorrow. So they were all very, uh, you know, cooperative, helpful. Of course, they wanted uh, me to get better and to take care of my personal stuff. Um, And I left. And I drove home. And I, I, I remember listening to some Christian channel in the car. But then I left. And I'm walking up to my condominium. And as I'm walking, I'm hearing this clear voice now is talking to me. It wasn't like the message I got in the office. Now, this is a voice talking to me as I'm talking to you right now, very clear. And as he talks to me, I recognize he was the Holy Spirit. So this is an audible voice. An audible voice. This is this is like, you know, Paul heard from the Holy Spirit or, you know, the Lord or whatever. But this was something In that you brain, could hear exactly. the Lord God. And Holy it Spirit. wasn't outside. Mm-hmm. It was a voice in my head. And he didn't say, hi, I'm the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to you say knew. who he is. Right away, I recognized who he was. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to me because I never related to the Holy Spirit. I always related to Jesus. I related to God the Father, but I never got the Holy Spirit. I didn't really understand who he really is. I didn't communicate. I I didn't get him. All I knew, like from the movies where the dove is flying overboard, or he's just something flying out there, but not a being. I, I, yeah, most people think of the Holy Spirit as being ethereal. 
not a person. Exactly, yeah. And, and he was speaking to you as a, as a person. As a being. Mm-hmm. He was a being. And right away, he oh, one thing he told me, um, that he wrote his commandments on my heart. I remember that. And, it, and I remember telling him, okay, that makes sense now why I am kind. It had nothing to do with me. It's you all along that controls my heart. I remember that dialogue. And then he said, he made like I am to shut my mouth and not to share what I'm hearing with anybody. Because at this point, I just want to tell the whole world. (laughs) There's a being here. Uh, But he just asked me to do that. So I continued. And he brought you home. And he brought me home. To speak with you. And he brought me home, and I went upstairs, and Sam answered the door. And his first question was, are you leaving tomorrow or Sunday? And I said, I don't know. I'll let you know. I can't think right now. I didn't want to interrupt my dialogue, and I didn't want to give much attention to Sam. So he said, okay, I'll prepare dinner, which he usually does. Colleen came out to hug me. Hi, Mom, how's your day? And, And ran back to her room. Um, and I went into my room, changed into comfortable clothes. That's what I do when I get home. And I came out, and I'm in the kitchen where Sam prepared a bowl, like a plate of rice and my favorite, um, excuse me, Egyptian dish. It's French beans casserole with, like, filet mignon in it. That's just my favorite. And the plate was there. And I just stood there, I looked at it, and I had no appetite. I haven't had much appetite for a long time. Um, So I didn't feel like I was going to eat that uh, beans with the tomato sauce. So I put that back, and I was left with the rice. And then I'm looking at at the plate of rice, and I'm going, oh, my God, I don't even feel like eating that rice either. It looks so dry. And I'm standing, the counter is like this table in front of me like the kitchen Mm -hmm. counter and behind me is the refrigerator and while I'm contemplating how am I gonna eat this do I just put it back the Holy Spirit says child turn around open the fridge and get the plain yogurt and put it on your rice now that's how we eat rice. that's my favorite way of eating rice in Egypt we put plain yogurt it's similar like tzatziki but we do that And when he said that, I'm going, like, come again? Like, you care about the yogurt I put on my rice? Like, it was such a trivial thing Mm. for him to ask me to do. It was, you care? And he said, child, I'm in every little detail of your life. And Randy, when he said that, I... I felt so ashamed that I missed out on him all my life. Mm-hmm. I was 48 years old at the time. And he's telling me he's been in, er- he's in every little detail of my life. And I'm discovering it now. At the end, what I can't talk, I can't say anything, don't know what's going to happen to me. And he was there all along. So you had a sense of remorse that 
he had been with you all this time and and you had been like many of us ignoring him or not hearing or not ignoring him at all yeah which it's is nice. which is really the case for all believers yeah a lot of uh, believers. Or many, many believers. That, many believers. I mean, we're not, yeah. you know, <laughs> that we're the temple <laughs> of the living spirit, and therefore he can speak to us uh, right. yeah. whatever. But it's true, a lot of believers, and what I grew up to know is, like we talk about Jesus, Jesus is in us, and the Holy Spirit comes and goes, or let's pray for the Holy Spirit to come. But we really don't concentrate on teaching that the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. He's there mm-hmm. always, you know, like, uh, and Jesus said in John 14 or something um, that I am going, I'll, I'll read it real quick to you because I love Jeez, it. Yes. Um, well, I think this is an important part. So uh, you're, you're looking for that just because this is at the same time that you are being physically poisoned, the Holy Spirit is drawing you to an audible revelation of his voice. And there's this dichotomy going on between good and evil. You had witnessed the demonic, and now the Holy Spirit is manifesting verbally, audibly to you. And the realization, like when he says, John 14, 15, 16, 16, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He didn't say, I'm going to ask for a counselor who comes when you need him or when you're in grief or when you're tired or forever. Mm-hmm. In another spot, um, he says in Sean 16:7, it is for your benefit that I go away because if I don't, the counselor will not come to you. So it's clear, Jesus said he went to be with the Father mm-hmm. and he sent us a comforter, a counselor on earth yes. to be with us. He will not leave us as orphans. And yet, um, I grew up not really understanding this or or believing in this, it wasn't taught. It was always Jesus. Jesus is in us. And it was so hard to picture Jesus in me because I always thought Jesus is one. There's billions of people. He's not going to care about me. And you feel lost. It's, it's hard mm-hmm. to relate to God the Father and Jesus when they're one and you're, I'm nothing. But when it was the Holy Spirit, it's his spirit, and I see it as just as he gave me a soul. He gave me a piece of him. It's his spirit, and that's my true soulmate. Ah, I love that. I love that. You know, so many have uh, referenced uh, God in the universe, and we can't relate to rocks and atmospheres, <laughs> yeah. but we can relate to a person. The person of the Holy Spirit, the counselor. And he's a being, and he's there, and he told me he's in every little detail. So, after I felt my shame, uh, I did what he said. I I brought the yogurt, put it on my rice, and and I went on my couch, and I ate every bit of it, because I just, that's how I love eating the rice. And I remember while I was eating, now Sam was sitting across, 
on the other couch. But I'm sitting there, and the Holy Spirit, I, I remember, he cracked a joke, and I started laughing. His sense of humor was amazing. He just had the most beautiful sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> and I started giggling. And Sam right away goes, did you stop at a bar or something? And I just looked at him, and I didn't even want to bother The joy of the him. Lord is my strength. Yes. <laughs> he, he was just amazing, but I can't remember the joke. So <laughs> anyways, I ate. I ate everything, and then I said goodnight. I felt it was time for me to go in. Um, I went and brushed my teeth uh, and then got in bed. And I am at this point confused, not sure what is happening. Why is the Holy Spirit revealing himself to me, not understanding anything? And I'm lying in bed, and then he says, Child, it's not your brother. It's you. And Randy, that is something I don't think anybody is ready to hear. Remind us again what he meant by that. That it wasn't my brother that was going to die. It was me. He was telling you that you were going to die and you thought it was your brother. I thought it's my brother that's dying and I'm leaving. And he said, it's not your brother. It is you. And I wasn't ready to die. I wasn't ready to hear that. I had this heaviness that came on my heart just thinking of Colleen waking up and finding me dead in bed. That just broke my heart. And my heart was just so heavy when he said that. And and then he reminded me of a dream that I had several years prior, and it was a dream of him and with Colleen and Andrew, and I was with them, and we were walking along uh, pastures, like meadows, and we had our arm around his waist, and he had his arm around Colleen and another arm around Andrew, and we're all holding his waist and laughing. But when I woke up from that dream, I didn't understand how the three of us had our arms around his waist and we didn't tremble on each other's feet like you usually do have two people. And that's when I realized I was going to be with them in soul, but not with my body. I was there, but I wasn't in the body with with them. And... Uh, as soon as I remembered that dream that he's got my children, it was easy to surrender my children to him and that for me to die. I, I was okay with it. Uh, he's got them. So mm-hmm. how can I worry about them? I, he gave you an assurance that your children were going to be okay. Exactly. Just He's got them. Wow. So wow. it was okay. What do you want me to do? Um, And he said, Child, you're going on a journey, and you'll be back and be my ambassador. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he said that, it was like, Oh, my goodness. Okay, that sounds much better. (laughs) What do you want me to do? And, And he said, Child, I need you to relax, and I need you to hold still. And I said, Well, I can do that. I, he said, I need you to stop thinking. I said, 
under that. But it was so hard to stop thinking. Mm. Uh, I'm a very analytical person, and I'm yeah. trying to stop so yeah, my brain. So chief financial officer, chief operating officer. Yes, crazy. And my brain is going like that, and I'm trying to stop it. And then I try to stop it, and I'm wondering, did I stop thinking? Am I still thinking? Like it was a roller coaster up there, and I felt he was going to say, enough. (laughs) (laughs) But he was so patient. And um, I finally got to the point where I stopped thinking. And he said, okay, I need you to shut your eyes. But no matter what happens, do not open your eyes, child. He said, okay. He said, no, no matter what happens, do not open your eyes. And I say, I get it. Okay. And I shut my eyes. And as soon as I shut my eyes, a bright light came into the room, Randy. It was a light with a presence. It was like my eyes are shut. Of course, I couldn't could not dare to open my eyes, but I felt the presence of God the Father. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's hard to describe. It's hard to describe that presence, but I wouldn't dare open my eyes. And then the window on my right started shaking as if there was an earthquake in my room. And as that was happening, my heart started palpitating and it started palpitating slowly and then it started racing faster and faster and harder and as soon as I did that it scared me I got scared and as soon as I got scared the whole process shut down Mm. the the light disappeared the window stopped trembling and my heart stopped shaking and everything stopped and I'm going, shoot, I screwed up my death. And he, he answered, he goes, child, don't worry. This one you can't screw up. You just need to relax more. So I said, okay, good, okay, what do I need to do? He said, I need you to really relax. So he started the process again. And he said, stop thinking. And he helped me get to that point. Then he reminded me. He he asked me to shut my eyes. And then he reminded me, no matter what happens, do not open your eyes. And I did that. And as soon as I shut my eyes, the, the bright light came again. And I felt the presence of God the Father. And the window started again shaking. And my heart started palpitating. And now it's... Uh, bouncing like really hard I'm thinking it's going to explode at this point I'm thinking this is how you die from a heart attack like my heart is just going to explode but I wasn't scared I knew the process and I didn't want to shut the process down so I stayed to the end and it stopped after a while and everything calmed down and the light calmed down everything calm down and he said okay child the next step is an annoyance just an annoyance I said okay he said child it will pass 
on the Nanoite. Mm. That I can. And that's, do you think that's what he was referencing as, as dying? No. What was he referencing in that, the annoyance? As soon as he finished saying annoyance, I felt a whoosh of pain in my legs. It felt like somebody taking a sledgehammer and Mm. breaking my bones. Mm. And the pain was, never felt pain like that, but he kept saying, it's an annoyance, child. It's an annoyance. It will pass, child. It will pass. And as I'm concentrating on what he's saying, how he's coaching me step by step, I was able to endure that pain. It, it's hard to explain how I endured it. Like the pain was there, but it kind of wasn't there. Like he was taking the edge off of it, or it didn't matter what was happening to my body. And like I said, I have fibromyalgia, and I'm taking on all that pain, and I'm not screaming. The door is open. No one can hear anything out there from what's happening to me. And the pain kept on going, but he kept on saying, it will pass. It will pass, child. It's only an annoyance. And it did. And it passed, and I didn't feel a thing after that. It It stopped. And then I wasn't feeling a thing. I wasn't feeling anything. I couldn't feel my head to my toes. I was numb. And I asked him, I said, am I paralyzed? And he said, yes, child, you are. And I said, no. And he said, I'm sorry, child. And I said, well, can I, can, I, can I move my toes? And he said, no, child. I said, can I move, can I try? He said, try, child. And I tried. And, of course, nothing happened. And as I'm getting this new reality, accepting this new paralysis, I feel Sam walking in the room. So I'm thinking, okay, he's going to call 911. He's going to realize that I'm paralyzed, and he's going to call 911. He didn't notice me. He went to sleep. And I laid in bed that whole night. Let me say, I did not sleep a wink, and it was the most beautiful night of my life with the comforter. He did not leave me one second. It did not matter anymore that I was paralyzed. It did not matter what was going to happen to me. His presence was just so amazing, just beautiful. He, he started downloading verses from the Bible. Like he started downloading chapters and he's teaching me. He wasn't just downloading and he's going through it. And the way he was going through it, he was the most perfect teacher. He was just, I was understanding everything from him. He wasn't going too fast. He wasn't going too slow. It was just beautiful. He's the teacher you always wanted to have. And I had visions all night and just 
he would he started answering all the questions I had without me asking him again. Like he knew my questions. He knew the questions I had about um famine and wars and children dying in Africa, starvation like all the disasters that are happening in the world and we all have we all have questions like why, you know. And he started answering each one without me asking. And the way he explained it, Randy, made a lot of sense. Made a lot of sense the way he explained it. Like it was like, ah, okay, okay. When his kind of elucidation of the reasons behind this or, you know, a lot of people question God, you know, why does he allow suffering? And yet he was revealing these answers to you in a way that made sense to you. Does it, did that carry over to you know, the present day where you can, if somebody were to ask you, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? No. It's amazing that these answers and his joke were the only thing that were erased from my memory. Mm. Like erased, deleted. Mm. Not even, I remember he answered them. But what his answers were, they're not there. And when I reflected later, and I, and I could think, why, why would couldn't I remember? And I felt that he was saying that these are um, mysteries. Mm-hmm. They're not to be revealed to the world. That we all will have our answers mm-hmm. when we die on our deathbed. But he wanted to erase them so I'm never tempted to answer that question or share that. He was just pacifying me. I felt like he was just, you had a whole night. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that you say that because those of us who have been there uh, with him, uh, whether in heaven or consumed with the presence of God, know that uh, it's kind of like you know that he has answered all of the questions even though we don't know the answers to all of those questions. And that's good. That's, that suffices. Because God has it under control. Absolutely. He's the control. Yeah. And meanwhile, you are the dichotomy, dichotomy of you are physically dying, and yet you're laughing with him. You're having this wonderful download of the teaching from God. He's he's revealing his verses that are appropriate for revealing his truth. And so you have this this kind of polar effect of what's going on physically versus spiritually. His presence when we're dying is so amazing. Mm-hmm. That life um, doesn't matter. Like when when I felt I was going to die on my deathbed, it didn't, it wasn't, I didn't question if I lived enough. It was more if I loved enough. Because nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. Say that again. It's it wasn't if I lived enough. Instead, if I loved enough. Wow, that's that's very profound. 
And that was the truth. It, it didn't matter. All, wonderful. Everything, it didn't matter. And his presence made death beautiful. I look at him like people think uh, the spirit of death. I think he's the spirit of light. He yeah. is the spirit of death. He's the one that reveals himself, but he's the spirit of light. And he's the one that comforts us until we get to the other side. He was only on this side. He didn't come to the other side. Jesus was on the other yes. side. He was with me here, comforting and consoling me. And the whole night, he was there. And I remember in the middle of the night, I wanted to go to the restroom. And I wanted to get up. I forgot I was paralyzed. And he, and I asked to go. And he goes, go, child. And then I remember I wet the bed. And I thought there was just, I'm going to wake up uh Sam from the water that's going towards him, but no, of course, he didn't get up. Towards the morning, uh, I could feel the daybreak, and Sam got up, he went to the restroom, came back, and slept for another two hours, and then he woke up, I think it was around 8 o'clock, I don't know how I knew, but it was around that time, and I felt him, he turned towards me, and he was pushing me and saying, Anna, Anna, are you up? And I'm thinking, okay, he's going to realize I'm not responding. He's going to rush me to the hospital. So he turns me on my back, and he comes kind of over me, and he pulls one arm. No, he first opens my eyes. He opens one eyelid, and I can see him, and then let's go, and it closes. Then he opens the other eyelid, and let's go. And then he raises my arm and leaves it. So my arm drops. He raises the other arm, and then it drops. And then he gets up, comes around me, and comes on this side of the bed. He opens a drawer. Oh, before he opens the drawer, he starts taking my jewelry off. And I'm thinking, okay, why is he taking off my stuff? Um, thinking maybe so it doesn't get stolen. Uh, then he opens the drawers and takes uh, pills, and he puts, he gives me medication in the morning pills. And now I'm paralyzed, so my teeth are clenched together. So he's putting the medicine through my teeth. He's grinding it in there, and it was a bitter medicine, and I could uh, recognize it. it was Xanax. And I'm thinking, why is he giving me so much Xanax in the morning? I'm already limp. And then he takes a mint and he puts it in my mouth. Again, it stays between my teeth and my cheek. And I'm going, I must think for him to be putting mint in my mouth before he calls 911, like it didn't make sense. Um, but then he got on top of the bed and started, he said, you're wet. We need to get you out of these clothes. So I'm thinking, okay. He's going to clean me up, put me in warm clothes before he calls 911. But he takes my clothes off, and then he gets on top of me and rapes me. Mm -hmm. And that was shocking to me because, um, you know, I'm paralyzed, and I I didn't understand what he was doing. Um, it felt like, a dog was there. That was not my husband or my ex. And then 
when he was finished uh, with me, he got up and left me there and went to take a shower. And I'm lying there, not sure what's going on. Why isn't he calling 911? But still, the Holy Spirit is with me, so I'm in total peace, just Mm -hmm. wondering what is happening. Mm -hmm. Then I feel him coming back towards me, but now I hear the water as if he's filling a bathtub with water. Mm -hmm. And he tries to carry me off the bed. He's pulling me off the bed and tries to carry me. And as he's trying to carry me, he drops me on the side of the bed. And he goes, you're too heavy. I can't carry you. So he's planning on drowning you exactly. in the bathtub. Yeah. Wow. And But he couldn't get me there. And, mm. and I fell on the floor. I'd say that was the first time I was really appreciative that I was chubby. <laughs> it was like, mm. thank you, Lord. And he couldn't carry me. And he just left me there. I fell on the floor, ring, like on my side, naked, and he just left me there. And he ran out because I could hear Colleen waking up. She was in her room, and she turned on the TV. So he went to tend to her. And I found out later from Colleen that he told her mom is resting. She's taken several Xanaxes, Xanax, and she's worried about her brother in Egypt, and she doesn't want to be disturbed. So wow. that's the scenario he told well, This her. is a planned yeah. execution. Yeah. Wow. So Colleen, of course, respected that. She didn't come to check up on me. And then uh, he comes back in the room, and this is when I feel ice water he just starts drenching me with ice water all over my body like it was a feeling i didn't realize how ice water can put your body in shock especially when i was paralyzed and it felt like needles everywhere it was just so it was a torturing feeling and it was too much and Uh, The Holy Spirit is telling me it's an annoyance, child. It's an annoyance. And then right away, I see a hand of Jesus lying next to me, like at my level, and just his hand. And I see them piercing his hand Mm. with the nail. And the nail going through his hand and the blood. And he's there. That that vision of them kneeling, kneeling him. I felt ashamed of the discomfort I'm, I'm feeling from ice water when he went through that agony and the pain, that the torture. So to me. He was going through torture, or he went through torture, and I right away was like, I can take this. I I I'm, I can endure this compared to what he went through. I could endure whatever discomfort I'm feeling right now, and the Holy Spirit is still saying it's an annoyance, and I'm seeing His hand, and I'm just holding on 
and being able to endure. And it seems like he's revealing to you that he understands your pain. He knows your pain. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And and his spirit is not leaving in one second. Like his comfort when you say he's a comforter. He's really the comforter and counselor during this time because the pain and discomfort was not as agonizing as you would think. Like if this is something we watch and see, it's different than when you're in it and his presence is there. He's just, it it becomes different. And then it stopped and I was relieved. I, I was relieved that the water stopped. He left again. Then he came back and started doing the same thing again. And it was it felt like it was taking forever. And the ice water again. But right away, Jesus, I saw Jesus' hand again with the nail in his hand. And I was able to endure my own discomfort, torture, whatever it was I was going through. And the Holy Spirit is telling me, it's an annoyance. It will pass. It will pass. And I'm and, and I'm hanging in there knowing that it's gonna pass. And it passed. And he stopped. And he left the room. And uh but again the comforter did not leave. Then he came back. But this time he bent over and he grabbed my nose and he shut it like he closed my nose. And I couldn't breathe because now, again, because I'm paralyzed, my teeth are clenched, I can't breathe from my mouth. Mm. And he's closing my nose and I am not able to breathe. And then suddenly I went, (gasps) and I grasped for air Mm. just as a reflex. And as soon as I did this, he let go and he ran out of the room. Mm. And this is when... I remembered my million-dollar life insurance. Uh, yeah. Therein lies the, the motive. Reason. Yeah, he would get half a million of that. So it made sense now mm. that that's what he's doing. He comes back, and he does the same thing again. He bends down, he holds my nose, and tries to hold it tight. And again, I do the reflex. I open my mouth. It startles him. He leaves. The third time he comes, he holds my nose shut, but then he gently puts his hand, his fingers over my mouth. So I like this. Mm. I like this. And I remember it was gentle. He wasn't pushing. But at this point, I knew it was it because I couldn't breathe. Mm. There was, he wasn't letting go. And my lungs started collapsing, mm-hmm. and I knew that this is it. So he couldn't, he couldn't lift you into the tub to drown you, so he was suffocating you. Exactly. He had to finish me off. He was trying all day to figure out how to finish me off. He didn't know. He thought maybe the poison would kill me, but it didn't. So... He needed to finish me off before he calls 911. Mm-hmm. And um, as I'm suffocating, I could see now uh, Jesus, but up to his knees, 
he had his robe. I could see his robe and I could see his hand towards me. I couldn't see the rest of him, just his hand towards me. And I wanted to go with Jesus at this point. I was ready to go. I didn't want to come back. I didn't want to go back. I didn't. Wa- I knew he could lift off his hand, but I didn't want him to do that. I wanted to go with Jesus, and I was singing to him in my mind, like, "Don't let go. Don't don't go. I will not let go. Don't go." I was so afraid he would leave without me, but he didn't. And I kept on going. Um, as you know, Randy, when we go to the other side, like to me, there was no, there was no end. Like I, I didn't feel, oh my, I'm dead now. There's an end, and then there's being. I just kept on going, it, and I look back, and my body's down there. But it's there was. It's just as if you take off a heavy coat mm-hmm. and I kept going and suddenly I saw the sky that was covered with white clouds it was bright white clouds and it opened up and when it opened up I could see beautiful blue sky it's just a beautiful color and around it, there were these large animals flying. Hmm. And these animals had beautiful colors in them, colors I haven't seen before. They were just so colorful, and they're big. I couldn't recognize what kind of animal that is, and they're flying. But that year, at the end of that year, the movie Avatar came out. And in it, they had these large, well, they were dragons. They weren't quite like that, but they reminded me of what I saw in heaven, these large animals just flying around the sky. And then I found myself at the top of, like, a green pasture. And at the far end, I could see they're rushing and they're preparing for the wedding. And I could see a bride, but I could see the back of her. But I couldn't see her face, and I wanted to see her face. So I tried to go out there to look at her. I kept thinking, is that me? Like, you know, in the Bible they say when we die, we're the bride of Jesus. So I thought, it, I, I assumed it was me, but I never got to see who she was. And I found myself entering an indoor place, and it was like, a corridor and I was walking in the corridor and I came across a majestic chair it was a chair and there was somebody sitting in it and I could tell it was a lady but she was covered uh, the the chair was covered with a veil so it covered her but it came from the chair down to her and I couldn't tell who she was and I and I'm walking, but I kept, like, looking. I want to try to make out who she is. And then there was a bystander. <laughs> so this wasn't the the bride that you saw no, initially. This no, was another figure. Another figure. And I asked this person, I said, who is she? And he said, she's the purest of all. Hmm. 
And I said, hmm, just like I said. And I kept on going. And then I saw a doorway, like at the door, there was a body of light standing there. And that body of light was my mother. Mm. And she didn't have a figure. It was just a body of light, but I recognized her Mm. right away. And I knew this was my mother. Mm. And she took me in, and we kept on going. Mm. And then I saw another body of light coming towards me, and it was my sister, Nadia. Seeing Nadia in heaven was the most beautiful encounter because Nadia had committed suicide after being in a very deep depression. And the church tells you, or several churches, or many churches, at least our church, uh, tells you if you commit suicide, it's an act of murder and you go to hell. And I always wondered where she was. And I knew she wanted she was close to Jesus, and she wanted to be with Jesus. She wanted to be with Dad. Nadia was very close to my father, who got killed in a car accident several years before she took her life. And when I saw her there, it's just proof of how loving and compassionate our Father in Heaven is. He does not judge us as the world judges us. He understands sickness and depression. He understands somebody who's in a deep depression is not doing this act out of murder. They're doing this act to stop the pain because depression is real. And it's their way out. And he understands. We have had, by the way, what you're saying, Anna, is timely because at one point we were getting contacts from five, at least five people a day okay. who wanted to take their life. And so we went into partnerships with three ministries with 800 lines. So if anyone is thinking about that and they can't take the pain, there's somebody, you can go to the randyk.org site, and the contact page there, and there are live people who are there to feel their calls. Yeah, because when you're in a deep depression, you need somebody to literally take you by the hand. Yes. Like, you know, like they have to find, hopefully their family recognize Mm -hmm. and take them by the hand day by day. Yes. Because that depression Mm -hmm. is so bad. It's so real. It's so painful when you're it's worse than breaking a leg and taking a painkiller because the, you know, the you take a, you can't take a pill to stop that pain of depression. Right. It doesn't go away, and you wake up and you're still in that nightmare, and it hurts. Mm-hmm. And I remember I've been there, and it's horrible. Yes, I have as well. So we are back to uh, story. You are in this place. I'll ask you in a bit, or maybe you can reveal to us what that place was. But you saw Nadia, who you didn't know if she was in heaven heaven or not, and that was the confirmation. She had taken her life. 
Yeah. And then um, I'm standing there, and I'm walking with her. She's taking me into a room, and I'm walking with her. And I'm just, the joy that I'm feeling at this point is just overwhelming. It's just too much. It got to the point where I started complaining to her. And I'm telling you, I can't take it. It's too much. I don't know how to contain it. It's too much what I can't contain it. So here I am complaining about joy when it was the stupidest thing to do because we usually complain about stress and depression and sadness. And you think we can never have enough joy. But in heaven, it is too much to to handle. And I couldn't contain it. And she looked at me and she said, Anna, with Jesus, it keeps on getting better. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, it can't, it can't get any better. Than, like, I couldn't imagine it. You know, when you're there, how can it get any It was just too much to imagine. And then we walked out and there was my father standing mm-hmm. with my mother, another body of light. And it was just surreal being with my family. We were not talking, but we were communicating. Mm-hmm. And then Nadia says, hurry up, you guys. We're going to be late for our banquet with Jesus. And I'm going, come again, banquet with Jesus? <laughs> like, <laughs> She said it so, as a matter of fact, like, no big deal. They're going on a banquet. <laughs> what? Time for dinner. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, my God, I'm going to see Jesus. Oh and they went, but I didn't follow it wasn't my time to see him at that point. Mm. And you just knew. I just knew. And I found myself going into another room. And at the end of that room, there was a figure standing there. And he was not a body of light. I, could, I recognized his body. And he was the late Pope Carollos VI, I think. Um, he was the late Coptic Orthodox Pope who had died maybe in the 70s. And he was such a sweetheart, very humble, loving, just purity was in him. He's just a beautiful man. I never met him. I heard of him. And he's looking at me and he's going, where have you been, child? Where have you been? And I'm going, uh, <laughs> she's talking to me. And I felt like a child. And I'm going, uh, well, you know, I've been going to Calvary. And he goes, why, child? Why? Because I've been going to Calvary. Of course, after marrying the Muslim, I didn't go to the Coptic church. Uh, and he's going, why, child? Why? And I'm going, well, I didn't find love and um, compassion and I guess acceptance, you know, in the Coptic church. Of course, marrying a Muslim, that's like a no-no. And he looks at me and he goes, child, what is your name? And he's talking to me like that. I could see his hand, like <laughs> I remember thinking. And um, my name, Anna Christina, is my pen name. And it's, I changed all the names in the story to protect my children. Uh, but I told him my Egyptian name. And he goes, I told him that. He goes, what does it mean, child? Hmm. And my name means compassion. Hmm. And, uh, and he was saying in a rhetorical way, like I didn't say anything. And he goes, child, you're looking 
for compassion outside. We, this is what we need. You are what we need. Hurry up, child. There's no time. Hurry up. And he uh-huh. kicked me out. <laughs> it was like, hurry up. <laughs> and I got kicked out. So and this is what is needed. In the cop fixers. In the cop fixers. So he wanted you to come back and evangelize in Coptic, the Coptic Christians. Or something, to, to do something in the Coptic church. Interesting. I haven't figured out exactly what I haven't done that. Well, you're yeah, talking with them now. Uh, so there's some that are there watching is, that yeah, may be yeah, from the yeah, Coptic yeah, church. Yeah. In fact, we had somebody from Egypt who just uh, reached out to us. Wow, okay. Yeah. So there was something there he wanted. He was um, he was not anxious, but he was worried um, about the Coptic or something. He, there was something needed, and I think I've seen the turnaround in the Coptic Church. Like for the longest time, it was like more of a, like the religion. It is my religion. It's my roots. I learned that that's my roots, and it was um, and the church follows exactly what Saint Mark did two thousand years ago. Saint Mark is the one that came to Egypt and gave the you know, how to do a mass and everything. And the church never changed, and it kept it like that. But for a time, I think there was some disconnect between the spirituality or the connection with God and the religion. Mm -hmm. And lately, and I think the Pope and everybody realizes that, and they have younger priests to minister to the younger generation and to have that connection and... Uh, that loving Christ Jesus connection rather than just it's a religion to go every Sunday it became more of a a beautiful connection with God so I've seen it at what point will they use me I don't know it's up to God well, that but was I got the early that. church you know when yes. you religion was really not the religion in the Bible is you know to to do good to widows and those who are orphaned and what have you. Uh, so it's an action more than it is a state of faith practice. Yeah. It is, it's really what you do. Right. But the relational aspect, which was the foundation of that early church in the book of Acts, was somehow turned into a religion of doctrines and other things. So, But that's interesting that, so he was, he had, he had, then a, a a priest was he, that he was a monk he was and a, then became monk, the pope the pope of and then there was another pope when I died at that time he was there like he was the one that had just died before the the one in two thousand and nine and but he he's telling me there's not enough time there's not enough time wow and there's not enough time that he knows at that point being yeah. in heaven. Yes. But you've got to tell them the truth. Yeah, that we need to all come to Jesus in a different way or whatever, or to save people. I know the younger generation for a while was leaving the church. Mm -hmm. And I think he was agonizing over that because the younger generation felt a gap. Mm -hmm. And now they're redoing that. Like I said, they brought in younger priests that can relate to the younger generation and now there's a revival in the Coptic church which is beautiful but at the time he was worried Um, but also when he said where have you been I don't want this to be misconstrued some viewers say 
why was he upset that you went to another church? Is your church the only church? It's not about that. I, I truly believe uh, every church is God's church. There isn't just one right church. I believe that every church is missing something. Like we have so much every, good. Every Christian church. Every Christian church yes. is missing something, and the perfect church will be when Jesus comes. Right. That's the perfect church. Yes. So, but my root is Coptic. Because when I came back, when they would ask me in the hostel, where are you from? I would say, I'm Coptic. Mm-hmm. And you never say you're Coptic. Mm-hmm. Coptic is not a country. Coptic mm-hmm. is not, you, I, you'd say, I'm American, I'm Canadian, I'm Egyptian. And I would say, I'm Coptic. So somehow they put in me that that's my roots. But, mm-hmm. but I still go to other churches. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, but it was fascinating. Anyway, so as I'm coming out, He's kicking me out, and then Jesus reveals his face to me. And out of nowhere, I just see a face being revealed, and he was revealing it slowly. It was like this, and it was like slowly going down his nose. And to my surprise, he was not as handsome as I pictured him to be. Because I grew up watching the movie Jesus of Nazareth, and I just related to that Jesus mm-hmm. in that movie. Um, he was—he did not have—he had more of a rugged, you know, face, mm-hmm. more like even in the movie The Passion of Christ. You know, the was it The Passion yes. that the actor was more Middle Eastern. Uh, a, a more rugged face, I would say. Middle Eastern, then, or face? Yes. Uh, so Jesus, a, yeah, from would be Israel or Hebrew. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I actually joked then because his nose was so long, and I'm saying, you're Jewish, aren't you? And I was like, oh, you said that, Jesus, you're Jewish. <laughs> what did he say in response? Did he say yes? Or he he smiled. Like, smiled. Like, who, who does that? <laughs> but because I, I was noticing he was not as handsome as I thought, I kept wanting to shut that process, what I'm thinking, because I knew he could read my thoughts and I didn't want to hurt his feelings. And I felt like, you know, who also thinks that way? But mm-hmm. he was in his glory, but just he was not that same face of the blue eyes. And, um, he, and then... I found out later in Isaiah that he said um, he prophet he prophesied about Jesus and he said he was not the plain looking man. Plain, yeah, yes. he was not handsome. Right. And it made sense to me because I could just imagine if Jesus back then, two thousand years ago, was really handsome. Most women would fall in love with him rather than love his message and love who he is. So I understood why he was like that, but his he was glorious. And right after that, I I found myself watching the freeway 
it was harsh. It was like so such a dry land compared to where I was. <laughs> and I was on top of the five and the four oh five. The Y. So those it, are two freeways yes, in Southern in Cali- California yes. where we are located now. Yes. And I'm watching this traffic and oh. then I'm in my bedroom. And so instantly from well, the, the, the the final or yeah. Period of time before you came back, and you were see, saw the freeway. Yes. Then uh, so I you're see, coming down, apparently. I or? don't know what I was seeing. My bedroom. I saw my bedroom, and I could see Sam on the bed, and he's holding my body uh, next to him. Somehow he managed to put me next to him, and I'm still naked there. And so after you insulted the appearance of Jesus, okay, so don't rub it in. <laughs> Sorry. No, he's not holding that against you. <laughs> he was laughing. <laughs> he was like this His beauty is from the inside. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so you're down. You're seeing the freeway. And I see my room, and, and I see room. Sam, and he's holding me, and I couldn't stand him holding me. I jumped in my body. Like as soon as my soul went into my body. I jumped out of bed. I jumped from under his arms. I couldn't handle him touching me. And I stood at the foot of the bed. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at him. And um, Randy, the look on this man's face was priceless. Mm-hmm. It, like, I wish, really, I wish I had a camera. It was like, oh, my goodness. And here I was. I was back. Well, that doesn't that doesn't mean that it's that Sam at this point is out of the picture because mm-hmm. he is, he was planning for your, your, your murder. Yeah. Uh, and so you are revived. Yeah. God brought you back. Right. Obviously for a purpose being with us now is one of those. Um, so what happened? How did you get to the point where he didn't finish the evil deed? Well, at that point, I came back as strong as a horse. Mm-hmm. I wasn't paralyzed oh, anymore. Okay. And uh, the ambulance, like I remember the guy, <laughs> they came and checked me. And, and the guy said, you know, when they give you the, their fingers, they pull them as hard as you can. And I usually can mm-hmm. hardly pull. I really pulled this guy off mm-hmm. his, you know, I made him stand up. And he goes, this woman is strong as a horse. So mm. I came back with a lot of power. Ah. Uh, so interesting. Uh, very interesting because a lot of people, like some people, not a lot, but some people say, well, were you hallucinating? Could you have been just hallucinating this whole thing and you didn't go to the other side or anything? And I say, well, if I was, when I, wake, when I woke up, I should have still been paralyzed because the amount of poison that was in my body would have killed the horse. That was determined in the hospital from the... Actually, no, no. No. The hospital didn't do any blood test or urine test. Really? They just did drug and alcohol mm-hmm. because they, you know, they assume everybody's either on drugs mm-hmm. or on alcohol. Uh, at that time, I didn't know he was poisoning me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up, they put me in a mental hospital because... I looked like, I, even though God told me not to say anything, I didn't share anything about me going to heaven or anything. Imagine if I had, if I had shared that, I'd still be in the mental hospital today. I didn't say anything. And they thought, he claimed I was having a nervous breakdown and I'm mentally ill. 
and uh, because of my job, and so they took me in a mental hospital. And um, but I got out, and I guess in my book it it tells the whole story. But the bad thing that happened was um, they. Paul took my daughter from me. Colleen was living with us. But she took advantage that I'm in a mental hospital that I walked. Um, that, that morning when I came back, Sam had threatened to hurt Colleen. So I went to protect her, but I was still walking naked So mm-hmm. and uh, protected her. But they reported, he reported she walks around the house naked. So they, mm-hmm. he went to court, ex parte, took her from me. So because I lost my daughter, excuse me, that was more hard, that was a heartache worse than being murdered. It was really, mm-hmm. he took my daughter at the worst time, like he hit mm-hmm. me below the belt. And I put all my energy to try to get her back because they only allowed me visitation. Uh, what is it when uh, somebody has to be with you? Um, oh, yes. Um, they, um yeah, supervised. Supervised. Mm-hmm. That's how they look at me, that I'm really bad mother. And it was awful. So my lawyer s- suggested I go and do a forensic hair analysis because I went and I did a heart scan to see, did I get a heart attack? Is that what caused my paralysis? Because mm-hmm. I didn't know he was poisoning me. Mm-hmm. Um, but my heart scan came back perfect. Mm-hmm. I went and I did a brain scan thinking maybe I got a stroke. That's what caused the, the paralysis. My brain was fine. Mm-hmm. So the lawyer said, go get a forensic hair analysis, which I did. And then the doctor, there was a doctor's report when the results came back. And if I may read you the, please, the letter from the do. doctor. This is, by the way, from your book, for those who are looking at this, my sweet uh, encounter with death. And this, why you're going to be reading from this book, and you can get it on your website. Let's let's mention that now. We'll put it on the screen of where we can get this book, a signed copy, and then of course Barnes and Noble, and uh, they can contact me on my website, okay. and I will ship it out right away. All right. And very soon, it, I had pulled it off the market, but very soon it's going to be. They can reach it anywhere in the world because I get people from. Everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. The latest one was Australia. I'm trying to get your book. So very soon they'll be able to get it everywhere. Good. Good. Excellent. Um, this letter came from the doctor, and he said, I have received lab reports which indicate very high amounts of several heavy metals on her hair analysis, consistent with toxicity, possibly included No, possibly induced by poisoning. These abnormalities include the mercury level, which is 60 times the reporting limit, selenium, 69 times the limit, and timony, 49 times the limit, lead, 280 times the limit, bismuth, 40 times the limit, but most disturbing, barium, at 2,750 times the limit. Oh, my goodness. The symptoms she described, which were present at the time of her psychiatric hospitalization in January and thought to be psychotic in nature, were consistent with toxicity due to barium and perhaps mercury. Oh, my goodness. You know, I have a, uh, a clinical background. Uh, and so, just from what you read, uh, that would that would 
stop the heart. I mean, the toxicity, the paralysis because of that. But the paralysis, we have to bear in mind, is stopping the heart. Yeah. That was the plan. And there mm-hmm. were a few, I read about people uh, poisoning with dairium. There was mm-hmm. a few of them. And it causes that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also, it's known not to have any flavor, taste, or smell. And I believe he must have been putting it in my coffee slowly, every day. He did research. I mean, he was really methodically yeah. calculating your death. Yes, because he only had three year, uh, three weeks. So in those three weeks, he wasn't going to just leave like that. He asked to stay, and um, he had to finish me off. But I think because I disturbed the plan and told him I'm going to Egypt to see my brother, he had to finish me off that night. Uh, and I believe he put it all in my rice. Yeah. And that's how I got um, paralyzed that night because he can't stop the process. Right. If I leave, he won't have time. Like I, they will discover in Egypt or I'll get better or something. By the time I come back, he's out of the house. And he had planned it uh, in advance of the divorce being finalized because if that had happened, then he would not have gotten the, uh, the money, the exactly. insurance money. So, so that's what it was. Uh, so, so much, so much happened. Uh, but at least with this, I was able to get Colleen back, which mm-hmm. is great. So, to me, that was the most yes. important thing. Good. Wow. Anna, I, uh, first of all, I have to applaud you for your courage in telling this and sharing. Um, you know, that this is probably the most traumatic uh, near-death afterlife. Well, we've had quite a few, actually, but this one in particular because it was from a person that initially you had, you had liked, loved, right. who, you know, and, and losing Colleen for a period of time. Um, but I have to go back to that experience that you had because you were going to reveal to us this place you were in that where you saw the bride and that wasn't you where you saw you had this audible expression from the Holy Spirit who was basically as you said coaching you through this assuaging you through the most horrendous period of time as you were as you were dying but then once you were ushered forth from your body the bride, you saw your, your sister who had committed suicide. Uh, she was in heaven. You saw the Coptic, uh, I want to say priest, but it's a pope. Yes. Um, and he was there wanting you to evangelize those in that, in that faith. You saw your mother, your father, as bright lights who you knew to understand. But then you saw Jesus, and uh, he was very plain looking. But then before you had died, you had this, uh, this impression, or actually as you, you saw actually a visualization. Perhaps your spirit was, was, you were more spirit perhaps than you were flesh at that point. Who knows? God knows. But you were seeing the crucified the, uh, marks in his hand as he was showing you, and, and he, was, he was showing you that, pain that he knew he had gone through as you were going through 
and being assuaged, comforted through the Holy Spirit, who is counseling. You saw the, you heard the answers to life's most difficult questions that were being revealed to you by Jesus, that you understood, oh, that makes sense, but that you can't relate now. So I'm asking you the question in terms of that place you went to where you saw the bride, you saw your parents, and then you eventually saw Jesus. Where was that? I would call it paradise or, you know, because I refer to it like as heaven in the book, but I there is a difference apparently from paradise to heaven. I'm not sure. Well, Jesus turned to the repentant thief on the cross said, today you'll be in paradise with me. But of course, Jesus being in paradise and having being paradise. There's a whole theological discussion we could get into. The mysteries of heaven. But, um, you know, I think uh, when I was, uh, I, I oftentimes believe wholeheartedly based on what the Bible preaches that we are ushered into heaven. We've had many testimonies of those going into heaven. But it's uniquely revealed to each person according to what God knows they need. So in that place. So uh, when we get too mired in, in the, the what-ifs, and I know you asked, I asked you the question, but... Uh, it's interesting from my perspective, at least, that of of how you felt, because it maybe mattered not, I'm not trying not to put words in your mouth, but where you were as to with whom you were, and you were with them, that the ones that you love most, and the ones, Jesus, that loved you most. Right. The, that feeling the joy that I felt in heaven is just incredible to know that there is a place after we die that is nothing like on earth. On earth we have emotions up and down. Even when we have joy come down from it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. up and down. Their joy is just like it's an ecstasy that it just keeps on going and it's just incredible the where we end up being it, it's it's not about the surround it wasn't about what did i say it was the feeling of mm-hmm. love and joy and it's uh, death is not what we think it is death is beautiful even the act of death, even the, like, I have parents who reach out to me, and my story gives them a lot of peace. Parents to children who died in a horrific method. And they assume that their child was alone, mm-hmm. or their child encountered pain and suffering and loneliness and anxiety and fear. And I, and I tell them, all these feelings don't exist when you are, even if we're being tortured, the Holy Spirit, that comforter, he's there right away to comfort. And you don't feel any of that. Mm-hmm. Regardless, their child was comforted mm-hmm. by a beautiful spirit of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He didn't just comfort me. I'm not special. 
he comes to to all people who have been victim like he doesn't like victim he doesn't like us being victimized he's a he's really a comforter and on our deathbed he will reveal himself like he's with us now but he will speak to each one of us on our deathbed we will know you will know and you will recognize him and you will get comfort regardless there's so many people who are afraid of death and afraid to be alone mm-hmm. we don't die alone yeah. he's so loving he reveals himself now the timing of it you know i was outside of time i don't know how i i was outside of time and i don't know how i knew it i just knew i was outside of time i never understood that but i know i was so his timing you know in the end when we're dying his um he's there even if somebody i believe even if somebody dies quickly or i don't know you can't tell but there's a process i went through that process i didn't just die and go to the other i went through that encounter to know and to comfort others mm-hmm. that we are not alone such a conundrum isn't it i mean I have often said that the best day of my life was the day I died. Yeah. Yes. You know, the best day. Absolutely. And that doesn't make sense. And the physical brain wants to fight to survive. And yet we're here for a purpose that God gives to us. And I love what you say about, you know, being in the presence and that that was all-consuming of the Lord God. Um, and I've oftentimes said too that, you know, you could have thrown me in a in a trash bin as long as it was with Jesus, I would have been just fine. Yeah, that's yeah. all that mattered. I, I, exactly, that's yeah. all that mattered. It was, it's just something else. We get so consumed with life and problems and issues and the future, and it's not about that. It is about our loved ones on our deathbed. It is about our loved ones. How much have we loved them? How much have we impacted this world? Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Um, and I'm hoping that people don't wait till their deathbed to find out that they have a friend in the Holy Spirit. Yes. Like, I think of him, I tell people who are older, you know, Casper, um, the friendly ghost. I. I don't think of him like that, but he's inside of <laughs> me. But you're the only one that can see him. Because I feel that's what he is. He's there, and he's trying, you know. He will never impose himself on us. He's there to be discovered. You know, in the Bible, it's always about searching. You know, he didn't, he, he left the Holy Spirit to be discovered, yeah. you know. And... Uh, we have to discover him. He's not going to impose. And once you discover and acknowledge him, he will reveal himself. The more you acknowledge, the more he will reveal. Right. And it will be this private thing, that friendship. Yeah. It's not understanding first. It's faith first. It's faith. Cross That's that bridge of faith. I love what I, I saw a billboard one time that said if uh, people who are living uh, knew what people who have physically died knew, everyone would believe in Jesus as their Lord. (laughs) 
it, it, it's sad that death brings us to the point, or people to the point all too often where they have to reconcile a relationship. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I personally believe that um, the Holy Spirit will reveal himself to everybody on our deathbed. Not just to Christians. I truly believe in that. I believe that he will give that opportunity at the end to reveal himself. And at that point, you will have a choice to accept him, know who he is, and of course, once you recognize it's the Holy Spirit, which will lead you to knowing about Jesus, or you can rebuke him. Mm -hmm. And if you rebuke him, that's the unforgiven sin. Because in the Bible, it says, what's the only sin that's not forgiven? It's rebuking the Holy Spirit, Spirit. right? Right. He didn't say rebuking God. He didn't say rebuking Jesus. He knows that people out of ignorance will rebuke God and Jesus throughout their lives. They will not out of ignorance, ignorance rebuke the Holy Spirit because they don't know him to rebuke him. And if you're a Christian, you're not going to rebuke the Holy Spirit. But on your deathbed, he's going to reveal himself. And you really have to be wicked or um, worshiping the devil to rebuke the Holy Spirit at that point. Yes. And that's the unforgiven sin that sends you to hell. Right. And Jesus himself said, he desired all that would be saved, but not all are saved. And, of course, he, he said in John 8.32, and they shall know the truth, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Well, who was the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It was Jesus who was the truth. But the Holy Spirit, Bible also says, is to your point, uh, Anna, that the Holy Spirit is the one who draws us. Nobody can save anybody else. But the Holy Spirit draws us unto himself. And we've had people who I've interviewed who have, have died and, and entered into hell. Now, obviously, they came back. They're, they're on fire believers yes, now. Yes, yes, but they said done. one yes. thing that's universal. They said when they, when they got there, they felt like they were without excuse. That they knew that they belonged there by virtue of their decision and rejecting, as you said, the Holy Spirit. Now, when when they cried out, oftentimes the name of Jesus Christ, they were then saved from that. So, you know, it, it's something that uh, I think it's, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Important to understand. We're going to give our audience here the opportunity. If you kind of in there, you may be in that space where you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm not sure if I die today. Am I going to uh, heaven or am I going to hell? Well, God wants you to know, right, Anna? He wants you to have that assurance uh, because you will know that you know. Now, you may have those times when you are like the doubting Thomas, uh, when you may question your faith, but you're really, uh, the Bible tells us that that the Holy Spirit testifies uh, of our faith in Christ. So, if you don't really have that confidence or that you need that assurance, I encourage you to pray 
with us now. Because now is your moment. There is no promise of a tomorrow. There's no promise of the next moment. We've had young people on our show, and we've interviewed even more that haven't been on our show, that died. And even young people. We have had three fentanyl deaths of young people whose loved ones have testified that they, uh, why their death and, and their life as well. So we're going to give you that opportunity now to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You see, it's a total, it's a surrender. It's saying that I surrender unto you, Lord Jesus, because of what you did on the cross. When Jesus showed him his, his scars in his, the palm of his hand, at the base of his hand, it's because of what he did on the cross. He did not have to do that. He called, could have called legions of angels. And instead, he knew that you needed him. So pray something like this. Pray, dear Lord Jesus, I've sinned, and we all have sinned, and, and I need you. I surrender my life to you. I know that only you, Lord Jesus, who was the Emmanuel, that is God in the flesh, who went on to sit upon the throne of God, that you alone had that ability to forgive me, to take my sins upon yourself on the cross. And now I surrender. I surrender my all. Take control of my life. Become Lord of my life. And direct me with your Holy Spirit. So that I might honor you all the days of my remaining life on this earth and to heaven. And if you pray to receive Jesus as your Lord, there's a celebration in heaven going on for you right now. And we want to know about it. So, Go to the contact page of randyk.org. Let us know. We want to be in communication with you and help you in your walk with Christ because this is the beginning of the greatest journey of your life. And it doesn't end in heaven. It continues into heaven. So, Anna, this has been absolutely wonderful. And we want people to know where they can reach you on your website. Yes, it's annachristina.net. So they okay. can write to me and contact me. I would love to respond to them. Great. And they can get us. He lives, I live Because He gave, I give Because He bore my shame and took my place He took my place I can never be the same Now when He looks at me He sees Calvary the cross of blood, the nail 
because of him I have a new name. New name, new name, new name. Satan got no hold on me. New name, new name, new name. I'm in him and he's in me.
that what was it a half a million dollar insurance policy? Sam didn't have her on his mind, but he had that money <laughs> on his mind. That that's terrible, but it happened. It's the truth. It's life. It's just what go on, and uh, it's pitiful. I had another one, but I didn't realize um, how long this particular testimony was. But I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. And uh, I believe Osam did go to jail, brother. Lou. I hope he was arrested and charged and sentenced to prison for trying to kill this lady. Paralyzed her. Did you see that part? Did you hear that part? Paralyzed this woman. He was going to take on up out of here where he could get that half a million. Million. But God today. Hallelujah. God is faithful unto us. And I'm thankful his faithfulness. Ah, uh, yeah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, uh, we're moving up right along this morning, and uh, I don't think I really have any announcements. Other than this, if you can go over to, oh, yes, I do. I got a wonderful, wonderful email last night. Well, when I woke up this morning, I got it from uh, the website, Jesus in the Morning, and the lady says, She's been listening to the show for a while. And she said, listen, and I, you know, in other words, I convinced her that God hear her prayers. And, uh, you know, evidently I've been a blessing to her. So her and her husband, they open up this place, and they are inviting city ministers, you know, to come in. So she invited me. So I got to get more details. And when she gives me a date and time, I'll announce it here. And those that want to come with me over there to take a look. It's online, I'm sure. That, uh, take a look and listen over there. Uh, you'll be more than happy to join me. Yeah. Because I try to be careful what I bring to you. I really do. Sometimes, you know, things are not what they appear to be, but... I, I try my very best to be careful. I try to be careful what I post on Facebook as well. I, I don't want to post trash and nothing that's going to pull somebody down. But get them to thinking, get them to thinking, you know, God is who he says he is. Let me give God a try. I've given everything else a try. Let me give God one. Yeah. And it's already all right in Jesus' name. So look, uh, Anyone have something they would like to say? We have a few minutes. Please feel free to press that number one and come in this morning. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. He is good. Yeah, I'm doing some running around like a squirt of birds. Okay. Uh, and uh, Friday is my brother's birthday, so I promised him today I would bring him a gift. And uh, he lived not too far from Sister Rose Brown, so I have to stop by her house. Then I could stop by his spot and give him his gift, and then I could turn around and come back. I got two pans of brownies to get out today, and I need to do that too. Uh, but and then I was praying about some things, because I had a medical appointment at 145, and they texted me and said they had to be scheduled. Boy, look at here. I was sitting here. I, I didn't ask the Lord. But I was sitting here thinking about it. If I didn't have to get that appointment today, I could do this and this. 
and the Lord worked it out for me. He know what's best for me because I have some things that really need to get done here because I'm still working on the YouTube project too. And the man, he tried to help me yesterday, but I was busy and I was out and about. So today, now that I don't have that appointment, I'm going to sit here and listen to this guy and let him finish uh, walking me through. He, he, he set up everything. Everything been set up. I checked it this morning. I heard it on YouTube. Uh, I think from yesterday I was playing around with it. So today uh, he's going to get with me uh, right after the show, and we're going to get it done. So you'll be able to listen to it on YouTube. Yeah, I like that. And then some mornings I will bring myself live, but not every morning because this is radio. This is not TV. Yeah, radio, you listen. TV, you look and listen. Hallelujah. So I thank God for that. And listen, if no one have anything they would like to say this morning, I will pray us out. And we pray the Lord bring us back tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, for another episode of Jesus in the Morning. And if you get a chance today, I know we played it this morning, go over and take a listen to Put God First. Yeah, as often as you can, take a listen to put God first. It should heal some minds and some hearts and and things because we're putting him first. And we're getting rid of this flesh. We're letting this flesh die so that God can live. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So we all right right there. Amen goes right there. Uh, Sister Jerry, can you tell me what this number uh, is for, please, ma'am? Can you just let me know what that, right up under the number, just text it right there with the numbers for. Did she leave up? No, she right there. Yeah. So just text me and let me know what that phone number for, Sister Jerry. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all that has been said and done here today. We thank you, Lord, that we desire to put you first. And Lord, lead and guide us in the right path today. Teach us how to put you first. Teach us how to let our flesh die so that you can live, so that you'll be glorified and not the things of our flesh. And, Lord, if you teach us how to let our flesh die, Father, we can walk upright before you. We can walk in the spirit and not in our flesh. Help us today to become your true people, not according to our opinion or not according to what we think or even what we believe, but according to your perfect will. In the name of Jesus. We thank you this morning. We give you glory, honor, and praise. And, Father, I bring your people before you. They belong to you. You made them for your pleasure. You know what's best for all of us today. So, Father, we ask that you would bless us uncommonly today. We ask that you would move in a mighty way on our behalf in the name of Jesus. Bless our families. Bless our friends near and far. Father, we ask that you would take the walk our house. And Lord, whatever our homes, whatever shouldn't be there, we ask that you would rebuke it, you would remove it and cast it to the pits of hell. In the name of Jesus, we thank you right now. Hallelujah. Father, those that are sick and going through physically, mentally, and spiritually this morning, God, we ask that you would heal today. You took a beating for the healing of the nation. Father, you heal all manner of sickness and disease. Do it for us today. And God, you see all the mental health in the land. Lord, I ask that you would heal 
hearts and minds today in the name of Jesus. And we thank you right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. Continue to bless America and the leadership of America and have mercy upon us all, God, in the name of Jesus. And Father, bless our going out today. Bless our coming in. Again, meet the need in our lives according to your riches and glory by your son, Christ Jesus. We give you the glory, Father. We give you the honor and the praise. And again, this morning, you know what's best for us. Lead and guide us in the right path this day for your name's sake. And Father, we are asking you to stir up your gifts in us that we'll be a great witness to others. You wish that none should perish. And God, the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. And we ask that you, the Lord of the harvest, would send more laborers. But again this morning, remember the labor that you called and chose us for. Father, stir up the gifts in us. You stir them up and let us be on fire for you. Hallelujah, day and night. And let us learn to put you first in all things. In the name of Jesus, we ask it all this morning. Amen and hallelujah. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent, one from another. In the name of Jesus, go today in love and peace. Share the good news of Jesus and give someone something of quality. God loves a cheerful giver. Have a blessed day. I speak the blessing of Almighty God upon you today, October the 4th, 2023, in Jesus' name. want to say have a blessed day and bye-bye at this time. But listen. I didn't call names this morning, but God bless each and every one of you, Sister Jerry and uh, Sister Irene and Sister Dorothy Goodman. Sister Rita, God bless you this morning. God bless you, uh, Pastor David and Sister Sion. I've seen quite a few people over there. So we thank God this morning for each and every one. If I don't call your name, don't get upset. It don't mean I'm not praying for you and that I don't love you because I do. And that faithful few. Oh, yeah, you know I love you, Rita. You know I love your daughter and Irene and Jerry and the whole Shawana Wana Shabang Bang, as they say. Yeah, faithful, brother Lewis, Sherry, huh? Sister Linda in New York. Yeah, I'll never forget that woman. She was such a blessing to me. I can never, ever forget her. Yeah, I just asked her about her daughter, Dee, the other day. And I, I she sent me on Sundays, I think. This thing to go to First Baptist Church. But um, God is faithful. He leading God, and I'm thankful unto him. All right, later, Tater. Have a blessed day, Brother Louis. You and Sherry, God bless you over there. God bless you. All right, we're going to our last song of the morning. And uh, after this song, we won't be coming back today. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. That's the big number one song, Chainbreaker, from Zach Williams. And now we've got his brand new song. Sing along. This is Old Church Choir. There's revival and it's spreading like a wildfire in my heart. A Sunday morning, hallelujah, and it's lasting all week long. Can you hear it? Can you feel it?